Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Overline Podcast. This is Craig Wiseman. Today, I am joined in the studio by the notorious JMB, Mr. <laughs> Joshua Bierski. Hello, everyone. And uh, also a, uh, a newcomer like myself to the podcast uh, is uh, to my left here. This is Kevin McConlog. He's also joining us. Hey, guys. Uh, I can, I think I can speak for both of you. We're, we're really excited to come to you today and, and talk to you about some really interesting goings on in the industry. Uh, the first, the first thing, actually, uh, we, we, we spoke with our lawyers today and they told us that legally we were not allowed to have a crypto podcast if we didn't talk about the infrastructure bill. So we're <laughs> going to be, we're going to be discussing that. Uh, additionally, we'll be going over some things that were discussed in, uh, last week's newsletter. Uh, you'll hear from Josh an update on the new Overline app, previously Interchange. And then we'll wrap up the discussion with some news that is uh, fresh and hot off the presses, the Poly Network hack and the implications that that has on the space as a whole. So let's go ahead and get started. Um, the infrastructure bill. I'm sure you all heard it by now. Uh, this is something that... Infrastructure, when you hear that name, you think bridges, you think toll roads, you think airports. What you don't think of is crypto IRS tax reporting uh, requirements, but that is exactly what came into place. Quite, quite frankly, I wish I could have seen the, a room full of men and women in formal suit attire trying to hash out the definition of what a validator was what a right. proof of stake network was versus a proof of work network. I wish that uh, maybe a couple more members of the crypto community had been present mm -hmm. or something like that. Right. Uh, but it is, it's nice to see this kind of stuff being talked about in Washington at a, you know, pseudo corporate level as far as the government stands. Absolutely. So, so specifically, I guess what exactly happened, uh, the, the bill was talking about tax reporting. Uh, of brokers, specifically in the context of blockchain. Now, the problematic issue is that brokers themselves uh, was a vague term that not only yeah. that not only included what you would normally consider a broker, something like a centralized exchange or an OTC trading desk, someone that you give your funds to, they do something with them and give it back to you. Yep. Obviously, that intermediary should be reporting on what they do. Well, I, before we jump in and, and state things like obviously this or obviously that, I think it's important to remember this is a, a space that's being defined. And this infrastructure bill was or is in a massive piece of text governing a bunch of different stuff, and mm -hmm. a bunch of money uh, for the United States government. That bill was passed today with the original wording. So it's important for this conversation there were two amendments mm -hmm. to the, the original wording that were attempted, neither ended up passing, and the original wording stood. The, the reason we're bringing this up today is because that original wording didn't really define anything. Right. There's not a lot of clarity. It went after anybody that, for the behalf of other people, facilitates or holds at any point in time their funds or uh, digital assets. Right. Which does include exchanges and OTC desks and brokers and things like that. But However, also, yeah. there, there's also a lot of room for folks that are developing pure wallet software. Well, we also have, we have guys in our own community that 
have have built and designed mining pools mm -hmm. and they're distributing overline to the people participating in the mining pool so technically at that moment in time they're in control and housing the digital assets of the people downstream they don't know who the people downstream of them are right the the concept of uh physically can't report exactly. on the data versus uh don't want to i think that's that's realistically where those two amendments that you were mentioning come into play the first amendment from senators wyden lummis and toomey uh involved a exclusion from the broker crypto broker definition to yep. have validators miners developers of protocols and folks that sell hardware uh the follow-up to that amendment was directly approved from the white house yeah. from senators portman warner and cinema that essentially just included proof of work businesses and people selling hardware and software wallets which tells me at a at a government level that the white house seems to understand crypto and the limitations or benefits therein at the very least uh they understand the the concept of a truly decentralized network that operates off of proof of work and that's something that is very very interesting to see at the highest levels of the u.s government opinions much less sophisticated opinions coming out of the coming out of the this particular bill now though neither of those two bills passed what happened was a bipartisan agreement was uh, eventually reached by those groups of senators that required a unanimous vote uh, to approve it as an amendment to the bill. Uh, that amendment did not pass. One senator, Richard Shelby from Alabama, objected at the last minute with a $50 billion military spending uh, requirement in order to approve that specific amendment. Uh, senator Sanders disapproved of the $50 billion yeah. military budget as as he's one to do and that that led to n none neither the bipartisan agreement or the first two amendments actually getting passed which is back to that it is important to remember that this is a i think it was a 2600 page over 2600 page bill and these are you know 16 lines in it right so the the likelihood that it gets passed both the senate and the house is also pretty low but these guys are and I say guys in the, the general neutral sense, the government in the Senate and it will again in the House are fighting over a bunch of different things. Right. So there's some other horses in this race that I think are are being called to play here out of out of character in my opinion. And the zoom and the zoom out also is that publicly from Pelosi and Sanders, this bill has been tied to the over three and a half trillion dollar reconciliation package. Yep. Probably will get held hostage in the House. Also, uh, adding more context, there could be an amendment that could be added in the House, something that happens before it reaches the Treasury. So the, the fight is not over in terms of getting more definitions into this bill. But I think it's more interesting, sort of zooming out from everything, that seeing a sophisticated conversation around cryptocurrency at the highest levels of the U.S. government gives me cause for optimism. Absolutely. I think this is a, irregardless, a major win for crypto as an industry because of the fact that the people wearing the suits and ties in Washington and eventually in other countries will be discussing crypto at a government level because it does have governmental impact. 
It is a big industry. There mm-hmm. is big money. There is big development. There's big advancements and inventions inside of that industry. And those, those range from, you know, hardware and technological into software and cool algorithms. Proof of distance is a great example of that. Um, but there's also power generation and eco, you know, green technology that are coming specifically for the blockchain industry. Right. Absolutely. And I think it's funny that about, I think I saw today something around 40,000 voters actually wound up calling their senator as a result of this bill. So you see, you see the the people getting activated. You see someone like uh, Senator Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming saying things like, uh, China is currently cracking down on Bitcoin mining because it wants to uh, have no competition for the Chinese digital currency. Like this is a this is a conversation you couldn't imagine happening from any elected official, much less a, a senator attempting to pass a legislation. So, cause for optimism. Absolutely. The fl- other side of that coin is, and I think Josh, I'd, I'd be curious on your take on this. It, it's more agnosticism. Uh, than than anything else on the other side of the coin the concept of like crypto has never been tied to one state's or one country's legal system or what bills they pass uh the to to quote jeff goldblum's character in uh, jurassic park life finds a way crypto often finds a way here and that's sort of the nature of the beast so there is sort of a agnosticism yeah, absolutely. I think at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but I do agree. The optimism comes from the fact that this demonstrated that the government's uh, at the very least willing and it's seemingly able to have or at least take a, a nuanced look at the space and distinguish you know, projects uh, that are sort of more on the pseudo decentralization side from projects that are genuinely decentralized. Absolutely. So I think what we're going to go ahead and do now is move on to something that I think is really important. We've broached this once or twice in the newsletters that have been going out from, from the Overline Network. If you're not subscribed to the newsletter, I'm going to go ahead and plug, plug that. Please go ahead and subscribe on the main homepage at Overline Network. Uh, the topics that we broach in the newsletter are more refresher courses, so things that are uh, critical to the ecosystem to understand. And while there's probably a lot of seasoned, uh, longtime fans of Overline and Emblems, uh, there may be some new folks as well. And so it's important for us to discuss in depth what those critical talking points are. Uh, and one of those is the utility of Emblems. Yes. As- as a mining utility to create synthetic mining power. Uh, this is one of those critical things that, that differentiates emblems from any other ERC-20 token, any other token in period that I've heard of. Uh, and I think it's important for us to dive in. So to take a step back to the 30,000 foot view, uh, how do miners earn money? How do they stay profitable? That is a, a question for the ages, but B, um, to, it's a fascinating business model because the guys that are doing miners, and I know I've got, got some miners listening to this talk right now, so hopefully you guys will feel respected and honored by my description here. Um, let me know if you disagree, but 
the idea behind mining power and gaining profit or generating revenue from mining is this odd equation where you know the cost it's going to have on you up front in terms of hardware and electricity and space, you know, whether you're renting or owning, paying taxes on land, you have an upfront cost, but your downstream profits come from what you can sell your mined product at. And it's, it's very similar to the agricultural market. You know, if you're a farmer farming corn, you know the cost of producing a crop, but you don't necessarily know the market-driven value. Right. And so the miners out there today are the guys and girls braving the wilds with these upfront costs and long-term contracts for power or space or hardware, or future hardware, waiting for that to be shipped in um, with an unknown you know, future that they can sell their, their produced asset based on this mining for. Mm. And every other mining industry on the planet has a semi-reliable market. Uh, the oil industry is a good example where it does fluctuate and it will fluctuate wildly, but it doesn't often fluctuate wildly uh, you know, in a short period of time. And so you can perceivably make business decisions and model your price and forecasting to go forward based on what the market is at the time. And in crypto, the, the cowboy and cowgirl miners out there mm. don't have that. So introducing something that plays with the power of hardware but is as you know instant as and accessible as purchasing an nft online i think is a major boost to all the miners out there who are looking to a you know run their profit margins a little higher but b if times get rough the idea that you can go out and <laughs> this is the the kicker nearly instantaneously upgrade your entire hardware deck through the purchase of synthetic mining power is not something i think people have fully grasped right now like overnight shipping is is still a minimum of 24 hours and that presumes the hardware is available and that you've got room on your racks and that you've got a power supply available right and you're not going to have a blackout or you know rolling power disruptions and that you don't have to do this every single year because True. each year new hardware comes out. Hardware from last year isn't as performative as the previous years. It's just this cycle is endless and monotonous. Absolutely. It's, Absolutely. A, it's an arms race. Our arms race is a great way of describing it. And it's, it's who can get ahead in terms of the reward per cost invested. And emblems provide the opportunity to adjust that metric where everyone else has to play in the confines of the physical world. The physical cost of electricity, the physical cost of your hardware, the physical presence and location of both of those things. Emblems let you purchase and boost your mining power. Love it. That's absolutely the point here, is that this is something that is, uh, in, involves speed and digitization in a physical competition that's where you're going to get the competitive edge. So to zoom out a little bit more, what exactly is the process of uh, adding emblems and adding synthetic mining power to your miner? Because is it, is it, is it staking? Is it, it, uh, it can be, it can be likened to staking in that the, the difficulty to boost your miner with a set of emblems is as hard as acquiring the emblems and moving them to an address that you're mining at. Right, because, because each, each miner has to have a miner key. 
that minor key is ERC20 compatible. Yep, exactly. So the presence of, of having these EMB at your address is the only requirement to actually make this mining boost occur. That's, That's it. It's just move it into the address, wherever you have your miner set up and boosted. Awesome. Ease of use, ease of increasing mining profitability, emblems as synthetic mining power. And, and instantaneously. So instantaneously, yeah. This is, this is something miners should have in their back pocket as like a, okay, I can play this game a little differently mm -hmm. because I can either get new hardware, get better electric contracts, get you know cheaper energy in some capacity, mm. get more space or more hardware. But now I have a, a new card to put into this deck, which is I can get emblems. And the simple you know, actions of essentially acquiring an NFT and moving it to your own address, you can boost all of your mining harvest. So to bring it back to the corn analogy you were making earlier, you can essentially just double your corn output. Exactly. Right, through these emblems. That's awesome. That's fascinating. And as far as I'm aware, something like this has never existed in the crypto space before. I, am I correct in saying that? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Nothing like this has existed before, uh, certainly not as an ERC-20 token, maybe on individual chains or something that uh, evaded my knowledge, but to, to my knowledge, nothing public like this has existed before. And I think you touched on an interesting point there, is it's fascinating to see an asset that exists on a completely separate chain having a substantial effect on another. And that's made possible only because Overline's able to interact with disparate blockchain networks. Absolutely. That's, you bring up a, just a, a fantastic highlight on the, the benefits of building on multi-chain technology. Is you can have an asset on, on one chain that affects another. Hmm. So what we're going to do now is we're going to switch over to updating you all on the Overline application. Josh has been tirelessly working on this application. You've all seen screenshots. You've seen videos. Uh, we're clearly thrilled about what's going to happen in terms of usability, reaction from the community. But I'd like to hear Josh's update in terms of uh, what's the latest on the Overline application. Certainly. So I know that there's a lot of angsty people in the uh, in the community particularly in the discord chat they have no problem letting me know that they are eagerly awaiting the release of the v2 so uh as some of you may know the v2 went into a private testing phase of, as of uh, a little over a week ago now and during that testing phase we've uncovered a number of bugs now, the good thing there is that none of these bugs are in any way critical. So from a functionality standpoint, uh, it was actually functioning, working very, very well. The, the main bugs that we've identified during that testing phase were more related to user interface bugs and, and small user experience improvements that could be made. Now, given that the this next generation of, of Overline platforms is taking more of an enhanced focus on the user experience and the design. And we felt that it was very important to address those issues before uh, doing its full release to the community. Mm -hmm. So uh, over the past few days, I've been working on ironing out those uh, few remaining issues. And 
uh, you'll be pleased to know that, that they've more or less been, been worked out. So I would say that at some point over the next few days, uh, this week, you'll, you'll see the, the new Overline platform go live. That's great news. We'll look forward. We'll probably do some sort of announcement to this community, the Discord community. We'll let you guys know when it's available. But Absolutely. We're all looking forward to it. The new UI looks fantastic. Excited just to call it Overline, to be honest with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, the, the concept of having multiple different products named multiple different things, I think we're all looking forward to having just the Overline app. Yeah. And that's the place where all, these act, all this activity is going to take place. So looking forward to it. And thanks for the update. No worries. Uh, the last thing we're going to do is talk about some news we hinted at earlier that's sort of hot off the presses, things that uh, we, we found, about, found out about just like the rest of the community uh, only this morning, uh, that the Polygon network experienced a pretty devastating hack to the tune of somewhere around 600 to $900 million. Uh, obviously, this is no good and coming off the heels of Thor Chain's hack and uh, Uniswap news. But Josh, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little background in terms of what exactly happened, was this a result of validators? Was this a result of centralized systems? What, what happened? Yeah, it's a very interesting one, actually, this one. Of course, it's still very fresh and hot off the press. So, you know, I'm sure that we'll see more information coming out. But uh, in the research that I've done, it appears to be. Uh, fairly unique this time. It, it looks like it was a compromised admin key. Yes. So a single compromised key. Ooh, ouch. Yeah. So this is a particularly interesting one because, you know, I'm, I'm sure that as many of you are aware, we've warned in the past over, you know, the centralization that comes with validators and the centralization that comes with honeypot contracts, etc. And, and we've seen all of those things eventually play out to disaster effect, disastrous effects. And one of the other things that you may notice that we've spoken about in the past are the dangers of, of projects that rely on admin keys that effectively give the developers or a single group of people god mode control over the, these protocols and applications. So this is an interesting one because, uh, to my knowledge, you know, this was certainly the most substantial example of those admin keys being exploited and used for, to nefarious effect. And I, I think where this is particularly relevant to the space at the moment is, you know, for, for many of you that, that are using other DeFi protocols, etc., it may be worth just going in and, and doing a little bit, uh, yeah, looking at those projects with a little bit more scrutiny, because I think what you'll find is that many of the top DeFi protocols in the space are reliant on these mm -hmm. admin keys. Right. And, you know, it, it's one thing for the contracts to be hacked. It's one thing for the, the validators or underlying protocols to be hacked. But... You know, when you've got a single set of keys that effectively give God mode control over that application, you know, I, I think that that's a far more vulnerable point of attack than, than anything else. Absolutely. I think, one, I love that you're revealing yourself as a gamer by saying God mode. Uh, it's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the the, the yeah. other thing is that's absolutely correct. When you have 
centralization points such as validators or oracles that makes a ton of sense as to where their uh, where their incentives and, and perverted incentives might be absolutely that makes a ton of sense but what you have with something like an admin key is the same problem in any other centralized system and that's yep. a honeypot exactly something that is clearly and easily identifiable and targetable and therefore at risk of being made vulnerable. Exactly. I, I think the, you know, the particularly problematic thing here is that you had the worst possible combination of things, which is where you have enormous amounts of money being pooled into contracts. So, you know, the honeypots that you described, coupled with, you know, one glaring and very problem, problematic single point of failure in the system. And the trouble here is that, uh, you know, I, I think that when events like these happen, people's initial scrutiny should be placed on the developers themselves. Because I think, you know, the challenge here is, especially in this space, uh, there's, it's too easy for people to drift into the shadows. Right. And, you know, the, the, the people designing these systems know them more than anyone else mm -hmm. and it's just it, it, when the incentives are so large and you know the honeypot becomes so enormous uh, you know it, it, it's quite easy for these people to design and exploit back, do back doors into their own systems Some, something else that i noticed sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there nope. so something something that i noticed also was uh in the same way that the response to the Thor chain hack was mm -hmm. the validators getting together and shutting down the network. And that was sort of the story behind the story that we found interesting. The story behind the story here, at least as far as I can tell, is that Tether wound up freezing 35 million of mm -hmm. the stolen USDT. Mm -hmm. which is uh, fascinating in the context of, a, a, again, a, a decentralized, a centralized system claiming to be centralized, a, a centralized system claiming to be decentralized mm -hmm. is where the danger truly lies. Exactly. It's very, very fascinating. And I think the difference there is, you know, uh, projects such as Tether are perhaps a little bit more honest about mm -hmm. their centralized elements than others. But certainly, yeah, yeah, I'd say that the vast majority of the space is making wild claims of being de decentralized when in reality it's more of a pseudo-decentralization than anything else. And what they're ultimately doing, and you see this with a lot of these validator-led uh, projects, is they're taking advantage of a very new piece of technology that's captured a lot of excitement and mm -hmm. value. And they're taking advantage of the fact that because it's so new, most of the people that are pouring into it just don't possess the knowledge required to take a nuanced view that enables them to distinguish between pseudo decentralization and actual decentralization. Right. That's that's the tricky part for sure. Yeah. Well, can I can I ask you a question then, Josh? Of course. Given the fact that a lot of these projects that are pseudo decentralized claim full decentralization. Mm -hmm. What would you say the, I guess, the, the non-crypto world impact of this infrastructure bill that we talked about at the start of the episode would be on projects claiming that they have no way of reporting transactions? 
I think this is going to introduce a very interesting dynamic into that equation. Uh, and I think that's where it was quite promising to see that there are at least some people in the U.S. government that, that are willing to take that nuanced look. And I think it's going to become a, uh, increasingly more difficult for these pseudo-decentralized projects to make these outlandish claims. Because what they're going to find is that they're going to begin to have consequences. And, you know, I, I think that if a number of, of U.S. senators can figure out that you, there is a difference between pseudo-decentralization pseudo and actual decentralization, they're not the only ones. Right. Absolutely. Well, just as a, as a brief re recap of the last couple of weeks that we've had, we've had uh, Uniswap banning assets on their platform. We've had major quote-unquote decentralized platforms like ThorChain and Poly Network experience uh, centralized hacks. And we've had the White House give a thumbs up to proof of work as a, as a true means of, of decentralized work in the blockchain space. The momentum is here. Combine that with the things that we've talked about on the last podcast. I believe our, our friends over at Helium just uh, announced a very large raise as well. Uh, the space is booming and the opportunity is large for Overline. So we're optimistic perpetually, but uh, it, it, it seems like so is the, the nature of, of where we're, where we're, what we're living through at the moment. What I want to do is something we haven't done before, and that is have a audience participation section. So uh, we're, we're experiencing, we're thinking about different ways to incorporate the audience. We actually obviously love having you all listen and, and, and having you all tune in, but we'd love to hear from you. So what we've done is we've asked you to ask your questions in the general channel in the Discord. Uh, Josh, if you wouldn't mind, would you mind seeing if there's any questions there that we might, uh, we might want to answer? All right, I'm just muttering. I'm going yeah, to tag in on that real quick. Um, it does look like the popular running channel but this podcast is the uh, Traders Channel. Oh. So since I've got my eye in that channel, <laughs> Great. I do see you and I do shout out to evangelists <laughs> always. Uh, Our beloved Traders Channel. Yeah, drop, drop your questions in there and then we'll pick one or two and, and see if we can't answer them. I do like the uh, suggestion, though, of recording a nice and soothing soon. Soon. <laughs> okay so we have here oh wait wait a minute so what kind of developments coming do you think are under hyped that's an interesting question just to clarify master hw is that particularly in the context of overline or do you mean in the space i'm going to answer it in I, I, context. I, I, do we do we all have our own answers to this i have my answer oh uh, hey you may have you may have hit the Okay, I'm, I'm something there. something that is is definitely under hype at the moment is the mobile app. Oh, I am I am I am floored every time I see the the internal facing roadmap yeah. of where this app is going to go. Uh, obviously, we have publicly said this is going to be our app of choice for being a wallet, uh, for storing and managing funds, uh, or storing and managing your tokens on the Overline network. 
but there's a lot more that's coming down the pipeline that gets me really excited because it, it, it all ties together with where we're going as a company as well. Updated features like yep. uh, trading and such is definitely coming, but that's not the end of the road. Mm, I'd, I'd actually agree with that. Oh, my answer is different. Oh, okay. Well, let's listen oh, yeah. to Kevin first. I, I'm, and this is back to something I mentioned earlier on in this episode of the, the multi-chain aspect of this software, the ability to build programs on top of blockchains, plural blockchains, is something that I don't think a lot of the, the industry and the dev space has picked up on. And when they do, this is a, a very exciting development opportunity to use things like TimbleScript and to actually construct new programs and new protocols as multi-chain protocols and not single-chain protocols. Those are two excellent answers, and I actually would agree with, with both of those. And awesome. as, as Craig mentioned, the mobile app side, yes, I know that many of you are excited about the desktop application, but uh, what you may or may not know is that the mobile application is also undergoing a pretty substantial uh, rework. So at some point after the release of this new desktop application, you'll see an, an overhaul of the mobile application itself. And yes, it will also be released onto the Android App Store as well. So <laughs> uh, we also have one question from SC, any Forbes news? And the answer to that is no comment. Uh, we also have a question about emblem leasing. So when do you think that Emblem leasing platform will go live and can we lease out emblems? Well, you will be able to lease out emblems when it goes live, but in terms of when it's going to, to go live, I have nothing to say other than soon. <laughs> We're, we'll, we'll definitely be incorporating uh, outlets like this, the podcast, the newsletter, and all our other social channels to give clear timeline of when that's going to happen but you'll you'll definitely be hearing from us in terms of emblem leasing we're as excited as you are to get that out and and stick to the discord because mm -hmm. that is a, an easy way for us to collect your thoughts but also uh, for us to disseminate information so twitter and discord for the latest info we, we do also have one other question from Elid, and that's, how do I cure the trauma that I've developed after four years of waiting? I heard emblems so, did that. Elid, what, what I would suggest there is to lower your sodium intake because you're, you're getting a little salty. I like when the, uh, the trolling makes its way into the real world. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's, that's, that's lovely. the end of the show. That's <laughs> lovely. Well, like I said, there's a, there's a ton of news going on in the, in the space, and we're really excited to be uh, talking to you all about it, coming to you through the airwaves, and we're grateful for you tuning in. Uh, what we'll do is we'll, we'll be posting this to all of our podcast channels like we normally do, and uh, you'll hear from us next week. So thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks, Kevin and Josh, for your time. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you, everyone, for thanks, tuning guys. in. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Greg. We'll see you next time. Bye.